The early church used creeds to spread the gospel and truths of God. In this series, we'll be exploring the Apostles' Creed through Scripture to learn why we believe what we believe. For more information, visit us online at lifepointpeople.com. We are in the Apostles' Creed, and we're gonna, this is going to be a 12-week series, and you're like, oh my goodness, 12 weeks. All we do is three- to four-week series. How are we going to do this? I think it's going to be really fascinating. It'll be broken up by a few different things that we have going on, Easter namely. But the Apostles' Creed is the core of the beliefs that Scripture teaches us about. And in my life, as I've grown up in the church, there are very few things that I will, so to speak, fall on my sword on when it comes to religiosity, right? As far as do we play organ music or drums from the stage and all sorts of things we want to debate, even when it comes to revelation and end times and who, you know, well, it's got to be this way, it's going to be this way. And churches have split. Churches, the denominations exist over these kinds of different um, questions of how, what Scripture says about it. But the beauty of the Apostles' Creed is it's, one of, it's the oldest creed, one of the oldest creeds, but it comes straight from Scripture. There is nothing in the Apostles' Creed which man has interpreted from Scripture. This is just Scripture. And so often I'll tell people that the things I fall on my sword on would be the Apostles' Creed. These are non-negotiables for me. Who is the Trinity, right? How is... Christ uh, conceived, who was Mary, the forgiveness of sins, the conquering of hell and death. These are all things that are non-negotiable. I will not waver on these. I will not sort of give, give way on some of these. These are scripture. And so as we go through this series, we're going to take it line by line because I am willing to bet, and I won't make you raise your hands, but I'm willing to bet that most of us here do not know what the Apostles' Creed is. First of all, which apostles wrote the creed? Anybody? Right? Nobody's saying it. What's his name? Nobody? <laughs> you can see why we're taking 12 weeks on the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> no apostles wrote the creed. The creed was written later in the first, second, third centuries is when it came about, and it is not written by any of the apostles. It's written by those who came afterwards, the councils that would come together. You know, that used to be the thing with the church, councils. That's why you hear of the different councils or the creeds, the Nicene Creed. These different councils would come together of the faith, and they would say, okay, in your church, you're starting to wear only red robes. In your church, you have kicked out the tambourine. In your church, you are observing communion every time you meet, and you are using very fermented wine, whereas we use a non-fermented wine. What is right? And then they would take on the other fights and arguments in the faith, and these were these councils that would meet. And then the minds would get together, they would look at the scripture, and they would come to agreement. Do you understand that? It's been a long time since the church has had a council. You think we need one? Yeah. We desperately need a council to come together. So this is what the creed was. This is uh, its purpose. The use of the creed was to correct error in false theology. Remember, as Paul preaches to Timothy, his biggest concern is, Timothy, be careful of error coming into the theology of who Christ was. It will look like truth. It will be 99% correct, but that 1% is heresy, and it will begin to draw people away. Timothy, be careful of this. 
And so the creed is why it was recited, and you saw in those pictures we showed, all across the world as believers would gather together, they would recite this creed. Not because as Christians we believe the creed has any sort of special power. It's not an incantation. It's not something we have to say in order to get our other prayers answered, right? We don't have to say it standing any certain way. It's there to correct errors in our thinking, and it's there for the spiritual formation of God's people. It is the form. It is the foundation. I may be using some building references this week. It's all I've done for two weeks. (laughs) But it is the foundation of where we are in our faith. But I want to say this. As much as we'll be talking about and the sermons will be titled after lines of the creed, We will not be studying the creed. We will be studying how the creed reflects Scripture. If you want to hear this sermon preached better than me or this series preached better, Matt Chandler did this series at the end of last year. I was so moved by it, so touched by it, and I felt like the Lord was telling me that we need to hear that. Now, they come from a Baptist church, much more liturgical background, whereas we don't. So for some in here, the idea of us doing a creed, you're like, whoa, I moved away from creeds and liturgy. And for others, you never heard of it until today. And for the rest of us, we thought an apostle actually wrote it. So we have a wide uh, swatch of people here listening to this today. And that's the purpose of it. It's the spiritual formation. The creed should unite us. The creed should take us all from, I don't believe we should be doing this on immigration. I don't believe we should be doing these social issues. But everything in the creed should unite us. Does that make sense? No matter your background, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a disciple, a born-again believer, then the creed should bring unity. It should correct error, and it should bring unity through spiritual formation of God's people, okay? So we're going to stand towards the end of this, and we're going to read it together. Weird, right? Everyone will have it in your bulletin. We'll have it on the screen. It's printed on my forehead like you can't miss it. Um, If you're not a Christian and you're here, you can just stand or you can just stay seated. But again, there is no power behind this. The point behind it is the unity of the saints. The point behind it is that we would come together and we would get rid of these little errors that, like a virus, weave their way into the church. And before we know it, we're doing things religiously. We're doing things dogmatically that have nothing to do with God at all. You see that? Okay. So I'm going to read this here. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to, uh, you can open your Bibles to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Look at the asterisk there before you become offended and send me emails. Understand, Holy Catholic Church has meant the universal church of believers across the world. I believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. This is the Apostles' Creed. 
And I want you to notice something. It begins with what? I believe. He doesn't say, I know. The council did not come together and say, we shall say, I have knowledge of. We shall say, we are certain of. Rather, I believe. Why? Because you can know something is right and still not do it. Just look at your waistline or mine. You can know it's right. You can know how to spend money. You can know how to love your spouse. You can know how to uh, treat, not exasperate your children. Doesn't mean you don't do it. It's kind of fun. They exasperate you. Fair is fair. Judah. You can know something, but until you believe it, until it becomes a part of what is your, your heart, it doesn't matter. And so this council said, I believe. Because when I believe that God Almighty created, when I believe that Jesus is the Son and was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, then it actually begins to change my life. See, lots of people know this stuff. Lots of people maybe even know it and accept it. Lots of Christians know it and accept it, but they never get to the point in their life where they believe it. Because when I believe it, he has control over my destiny. When I believe it, he has control over my finances. He has control over my schedule, over my friendships. I give him my life because I believe it. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, quote, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you what? Believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now there's a process going on here, isn't there? There's, a, there's, some, there's some stuff going on here Paul's wanting people to know about, both to the Roman world and to our world. That if I declare with my mouth Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart, not know, but I believe in my heart, then what happens? I'm saved. It's from your heart that you believe and I am justified. You've heard me say that, right? What did Christ's death on the cross do? Two big things. It justified you and sanctified you. Meaning in the moment that I believe, in the moment I believe in his death and who he said he was, I am justified for my sins, past, present, and future. You understand that? He has taken it upon him, and when it says in the Apostles' Creed here, he descended into hell, boy, we're going to have fun on that day. Oh, pastor, (laughs) the theology majors are already typing me the letter that they're going to write in a few weeks. He has descended into hell. Why? He conquered death. He conquered sin. So I could be justified when I believe. Not when I know. When I believe. Now verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. But it's with my mouth that I profess my faith, my belief, and I'm saved. Are you catching this? This is the foundation of our Christian faith. This is everything. You know, we didn't like a lot of things about our house, right? We love the 
fact it was on a cul-de-sac. We love the fact that it was in a great family neighborhood. But it, it was weird how it was split up and there were walls and it didn't make sense. And the carpet was probably about quarter a square foot. It was disgusting. I was afraid that when the adoption people came in to, to ask us questions to see if we were capable to adopt and foster kids, that they would take ours away from us based on the carpet alone. <laughs> it was that gross. And I'm like, we've been in here two years. Like, Come on. Uh, we've had Matt Feeney out every week, and it's still... I'm just kidding, Matt. We already picked on you once this morning. Twice is not enough. So... Um, <laughs> It was disgusting. And so there was all this stuff. But what was beautiful is as we ripped up all the flooring, we got to see our foundation had no cracks in it. You know, I've done a lot of this, a lot too much. And this was one of the first times I've gotten to tear up the flooring and see that the foundation was really solid. And my wife the other night, when I'm just completely exasperated and I'm sitting on a lawn chair inside of our living room because all of our furniture is gone, we sold it all. She said, you know... We can always take the fact that we have no cracks in our foundation. And I was like, eh, you know, you, why don't you go in another room right now because I don't want to hear that. That's, yay. But she was right. She was right. It is beautiful. It's nice to know that our house, no matter how pretty we make it, no matter what colors we put on the wall, if your foundation is faulty, if it is cracked, if it is on shifting ground, then the rest of it comes falling down. So, get this, this morning is foundational. When I say I believe, I am justified, but when I profess my belief with my mouth, I am saved. Ask yourself, saved from what? You see, if I said that I was going and I fell into a swamp and someone reached out and grabbed me and they saved me, they would have saved me from drowning, crocodiles, snakes, those little leeches that grab onto you and don't let go, other bacteria. I don't know. I'm a germaphobe. It would be terrible. But you would understand what I was saved from. So when Scripture says, confess with your mouth and you will be saved, well, if I've already been justified, what am I being saved from when I confess with my mouth? Think about it. Let's not just read Scripture and go, oh, saved, that's a church word. Okay, I'm that. What am I saved from? This is why in 2016, I am not allowing any secret salvations anymore. No more bowing your heads, closing your eyes, and you get to go. Anybody here who wants to accept Christ? I saw it. I saw it. You did it. You accepted Christ. No. Why? Because when you confess with your mouth, you're saved. You're saved from a life of hopelessness. You're saved from doing it your way and failing over and over again. You're saved from hell. You're saved from the sins that you will continue to fall into. You are saved by Christ's death on the cross. You are saved from it. You were justified in the moment you believed, but you are saved from a life of no joy in the moment you confess your faith with your mouth. Isn't that exciting? And that's why the church grew. Because people understood the idea of justification and salvation. And when your life is literally in the mud and the muck, and Christ comes along and his spirit is so brand new to you, so rich to you, they sense that when they spoke it to others, they were receiving unto themselves the salvation Christ promised. You see that? Because they believed. Verse 10. It's with your heart you believe and are justified with your mouth that you profess and you are saved. The text does not say to know Jesus as Lord. It says to believe. So there's four things that 
this, uh, the Apostles' Creed does, and I'll have to move through these quickly. First is clarity. Did you know that as human beings, we are not primarily thinking creatures? Yes, we are. Look what we've done. Eiffel Tower, and we've gone into space, and we have engineers. Yeah, we think, we reason, we use logic, but aren't we actually driven by something else? Think about the remote. Why did we build the remote for the television? Because <laughs> we're driven by laziness. Well, I don't want to have to get all the way up over there. Let's put a cord on it. You know that was the first remotes, right? There was a cord. You remember that? I don't. I've been told. That they're, they're in museums. <laughs> there was a cord on the remote. It was those circular windy ones. And you had to find it. And it had like four big buttons on it. And channel, up, down, volume, and power. Five buttons. And... Uh, I was the remote, and then somebody said, this is silly. I don't want to have that cord. My wife keeps tripping over it when she comes to sit down. And then, so they did the no remote. We are driven by our passions. We are driven by what we love. We are driven by our lusts. We are driven by our instincts. And occasionally we have to think in order to get what we are driven by, aren't we? See, we aren't driven by thinking. If we were driven by thinking... We wouldn't drink soda. If we were driven by thinking, we wouldn't buy a house that caused us to be, caused us to be a slave to it for years. If we were driven by thinking, we would have paid more attention in school. No, we're driven by our heart. We're driven by what we love. We're driven by our affections. And occasionally we have to think to get those things. Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Well, geez, does anything good come out of the heart? That's why we have Valentine's Day next week. <laughs> Chocolates, red hearts, flowers, good feelings, fuzzies. All the world's moral religions say this. There is a standard to live up to, Right? Every moral religion of the world says there is a standard to live up to. Materialism says you must look like this. Perfectionism says if you want to be liked and accepted, you must look like this. If you're of the Islamic faith, there is an ideal that you must attain to. If you're of the Mormon faith, there is an amount of works you must attain to, to reach an ideal level. But Christianity says, no, Christ actually is the bar. Christ set the bar. He already attained it, and my goal is to believe it. My goal is to move from knowing to belief so that I can be justified by believing and I can be saved through the confession to others of my belief. Belief is birthed in the heart. It is not birthed in your head. It is why I struggle with people feeling that they will come to the Lord when they have enough reason to do so, right? Nobody can be reasoned into coming to Jesus. I can't show you enough proof for you to come because it has to move from here to here. Secondly is symmetry. I like how Chandler said this. There is a symmetry to the gospel that is understood in the Apostles' Creed. So with my house, like I said, I've got the, if the foundation isn't solid, if the framing is off square, right, which means it's not straight up and down. It's really frustrating, one, when you're trying to hang cabinets. Two, it's really annoying because as that happens, if it's really bad, then the house has no stability. And a strong wind, a strong storm can come and actually knock all the beauty you put around it down. 
There's no symmetry to the house. The house is beautiful on the outside. The house is beautiful on the inside. I put great, nice furniture in it, and the storm came and it still fell down. Why? Because it had no foundation. So you can believe that God Almighty created the heavens and the earth. You can believe that you have a relationship with Jesus as Lord. But if you don't believe that he descended into hell and conquered sin, if you don't believe in the communion of saints, then what it's like is having beautiful furniture in a cracked foundation house with poor framing. Because you're, you're missing it. You're missing all of it. You're, you're taking bits and pieces of scripture you like and that fit your world, and you're choosing to believe in them and forget some of the other things. And what the Apostles' Creed does is it so beautifully encompasses scripture, the purpose of Genesis to Revelation inside this, what is it, 16 lines, 17, 17 lines of here is what scripture is about. And these are the things I need to concentrate on. Not whether or not I wore my Sunday best. Not whether or not we sang this song over that song in church. But these are the things I need to concentrate on. It brings symmetry into our lives. Spiritually, we need that. Ligonier Ministries partnered with Lifeway Christian Resources, and they did a survey recently on evangelical Christians in America and on the doctrine of God, Jesus, and the Bible called What is Our Theological Temperature? You want to see what happens when the Christian church gets out of symmetry? Large groups denied that Jesus Christ was actually God in the flesh, and they said he was mostly just an ethereal presence. This, This is Christians. This is you. Maybe if you took this test, you said, wait, this is what I believe. Okay? I want to show you what happens when the church gets out of symmetry. When it becomes good looking on the outside with expensive furniture and paint and cabinets, but has a very cracked foundation and shaky walls. Less than half confirm that the Bible is true. These are, remember, this isn't America. This is American evangelical Christians, of which we would technically fall under. Less than half of them said the Bible was probably, probably has errors in it somewhere. Not surprisingly, the same number reject what the Bible has to say on ethical issues which makes sense because they don't see it as an authority in their life anyway. Do you understand this? Do you understand this? This isn't the world. This isn't another religion. This is us. This is you sitting in this room. That we reject the ethical issues of the Bible. We're in an election year, and we're looking at candidates, and we look at their ethics and their morals as sort of second or third to their financial prowess, or, or have they ever led a government before? What do they think on, the ish, on this social issue? We're so disconnected from what Scripture says. We're so out of symmetry that we don't know what we actually believe. And I hear that a lot from Christians. We don't know what we believe. Many would say this in that study. That worshiping God alone is just as valid as attending corporate worship in the church. Maybe if I had given you these questions beforehand, you would have said the same thing. But let me just ask you, what does Scripture say about it? What does Scripture say about it? You see, if we recited the creed, if we knew the creed, we would know the importance of the communion of the saints. We would know how important this gathering is. We would know that the difference between the songs we sing corporately together and how they differ from the songs you listen to 
that are worship songs when you're at home? Did you know that there's a difference? Did you know that biblically God has drawn a line and there's a difference? It's interesting. We're terribly confused about who God is and what he's up to. Pragmatism rules the day in our faith. Pragmatism simply means, Lord, do you have what I need right now? What I need right now is the finances for next month's rent. What I need right now is for my kid to get a better grade so he doesn't get held back so I don't look like a bad parent. What I need right now is for you to fix my marriage. What I need right now, what I need right now. And God's saying, it took you 15 years to get into that mess and you want me to fix it right now? Yeah, that's the deal I signed up for when I accepted you. (laughs) Remember, the pastor lowered the lights, somebody got on a guitar and was like, and he said with every head bowed and eye closed, remember, Lord, remember when I did that? And I was like, boop. That's the deal. We want church to be a show and we want to be entertained. I'm sorry, but we, we won't do that here. We're going to love you. We're going to take you out and we're going to duel in the desert with you like we did yesterday. <laughs> Which, by the way, don't mess with LifePoint Church. We are more well-armed than possibly the National Guard. <laughs> I could not believe the amount of weapons that were brought out. And then the accuracy of those wielding the weapons. I just stay on your good side. No, we, 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 want, we want church to be a place that's informative. Are you going to have fun along the way? Will there be joy here? Absolutely. Will you enjoy a life group where you get to engage in partnerships with other people in life and, and, and find joy beyond happiness? You bet. But if when you leave, your main question to your kids is, did you have fun? I want you to think of a different question. Because what you are is you're setting up their expectations for church equals fun. And if for some reason I didn't have fun, I should stop going to church. Do you see that? So what you need to ask them is, did you learn anything today? Because if they say, I didn't learn anything today, then stop going to that church. Because that's the reason you should stop going to church, is if you didn't learn anything today. That's why. Close with this. In the first, second, third centuries, when the brothers and sisters got together and would read this out loud, it brought them together with one mind and one cause. But remember, They were not just sitting in a protected country that protected their rights. They were rebels. They were standing up for the rights of the scriptures and the ability and the right to be able to praise and worship this God. That was the only rights they cared about. They didn't have a right to health care. They didn't have a right to a home over their head. They didn't have a right to good food. They had a right to be able to worship the God they wished to worship. So it didn't matter if you were Pentecostal, Baptist, or Presbyterian. It didn't matter about these divisions. They came together and they read it because they recognized they were part of the larger community of saints. And inside this community, they were part of one family. And it is our generation's turn to pick up the torch and run the race. So if you have the ability to, would you stand with me now? As we recite together, and we'll be doing this every time for the next 12 weeks, Again, not because there's anything special, not because you get better looking because of it. I tried. It didn't work. We recite it to remind ourselves that it is our generation's turn 
to pick up the torch and run the race. So you have a copy of it with you. I believe it'll be on the screen behind me. Let's recite it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. When we believe and we recite this creed, we're saying, I reject the story that culture is telling me. I reject the story that I am worth, what my pocketbook says I am, what the mirror tells me I am, what my past tells me I've done. And I believe who Christ is. That is the purpose of the creed. And as we go through it over the next three months, you're going to have a deeper revelation. You're going to have a more informed spirit on what, this, what it means to be a disciple. Does that sound good to you? Does that sound fun to you? All right, cool. Then you get to answer the question, I had fun at church, when you go home and see your spouse. <laughs> good job. There'll be cookies on your way out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we are grateful that you have given us this place. We are grateful to be part of a country where we still have the right, where we still have the ability to praise you. But I'll tell you right now, Father, when they strip us of that right, I will still gather people together. I will still praise your name openly, and I will still study your word until they take my breath and you allow them from me. Father, we study this creed not out of any rules to follow, but we study it, Father, that we may have a deeper understanding of who you are. Father, if there are those in here this morning who came in those doors and they know they're not a part of your family, they know they're not, they haven't given themselves, humbled themselves over to you, Lord, then I pray you would be moving on their hearts right now. If that's you this morning, it is time not to stay hidden but to get up. And what you'll see around you is we have prayer partners. We have prayer partners over here in the back in the prayer room. You just get up and you walk over there. And you confess with your mouth, I need Jesus Christ. I need to believe in something greater than myself. And we're here for that. That's why we exist as a church. So if that's you and you want that, you get up and you just go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this week. We thank you, Father, that you're going to give us another chance to love others, to serve our families well, and to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, be blessed. Have a wonderful week. Next week, we're in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It'll be an interesting week. See you then.